It's Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged, and this is the Adam Blythe episode, and it's got a little bit of everything. We talk about modern racing, what a time to be alive as a fan and indeed a commentator. We also touch on how we both fare in the modern peloton, which in short, wouldn't be very long at all. Uh, We hear the best professional advice that Adam has ever taken. He also tries to cheat a little bit, slightly naughty, in the Sheffield quiz, so please stay tuned to find out how. And of course, the RQG is on fire and still pumping out god knows what to grab a cuppa relax put your feet up and enjoy the pod hello and welcome are you ready because it's that time again matt stevens unplugged passing the spot Adam Blythe is a good friend and a great bike racer. He's been British National Road Champion and Crit Champion and even wore white shorts once. But his favourite victory ever came in the 2014 Ride London Surrey Classic. Now, since hanging up his bike in 2019, he's enjoyed more time with his wife and young kids and picked up the commentator's microphone to provide a fresh angle on the pro peloton even reporting for NBC whilst riding Pillen on a moto at last year's Tour de France. But how well does he know his hometown of Sheffield? And is he prepared for the randomness of the random question generator? The answers to these and some other questions you never knew you wanted to ask are all coming up in the next hour and 20 minutes. Check it out. First up, Adam, welcome to the pod and thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's going to be nice to chat. I'm a bit nervous about it for some reason, mate. I don't know why. How? What, what do you mean, nervous? I mean, nervous as per like a job interview uh, or uh, before like a prologue? <laughs> neither, neither. <laughs> oh dear, I've never had a job interview, you know. Haven't you? No, I've never had like a real job. I had one with Chapter 3, but it wasn't like a real job interview as such, sitting yeah. down in front of someone. So, you, you've, so, never no. had to, so you've never had to like put your suit on that in that generally borrowed from somebody and go and sit in an office and be spoken to um, like no. you're a child, no? Sadly not, no. No, it's an experience that you, I don't think you need in life, really, because it's quite intimidating. It can put you off a lot of things in life. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so um, so you've not, not had an interview. So let, let, let me just make this uh, podcast as formal and as uneasy as I can then for you, Adam. <laughs> um, why, why did you want to – what can you give to this podcast? Why do you think you should be on this podcast, Adam? Uh, for many reasons really Matt I think you know you're a great podcast presenter your podcast is very successful uh, but I've seen a few slips and drops in there um, with a few things for you so I just you know I'd come on and just you know help advise and it's not things that spring to the top of my mind Um, so it's just going to be you know they'll come out as we speak basically okay Um, not to say it's rubbish Matt I think it's very very good one of the best out there in fact but yeah I just, you know, and also you did ask me to come on. Yeah, indeed. Well, Adam, thank you for, thanks very much indeed, Adam. Uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks. Right. Well, <laughs> well mate. Well, no, Adam, thanks Thanks for coming on the pod, mate. I know you've, you've been really busy recently with comms and stuff. But before we, we do actually crack on, for um, our listeners, could you just tell us where in the world you are and then describe the room that you're in in as much detail as possible so it can really set the context before we start our <laughs> rambling chat. Yeah, I'm just in my front lounge at the minute. I'm not mm. in the back lounge, it's just the lounge, actually. I don't know why I said front, trying to sound all posh. I'm in the little town of Bollington, just in Cheshire. Um, the sofa's grey. Uh, we have a blue wall behind us with a 
a nice piece of art by Tom Burbridge. Um, telly on the wall, a couple of shelves up with some pictures on. Um, and that is pretty much it, really, Matt. It, it, it sounds quite calm in your house because you, you've got a very busy household, haven't you, a lot of the time? Well, most of the yeah, time. Yeah, the kids are at nursery today. There we go. It does, it does so, sound quite serene. Yeah, I mean, even the noise of the, the washing machine now, that's getting quite annoying just because we're never used to having it this quiet. Indeed. But we have to do washing. Yeah, washing has to be done, mate, doesn't it? Um, and before we before we do actually kind of crack on as well, um, I've been look, rifling back through our records um, in a, like a Rolodex that I've got on, on my desk. It's one of those ones that spins round, like in films from the 70s. Beautiful. And um, you appear to be um, the only guest who was one of our cafe ride guests to also now do the pod so you've basically got the holy trinity if the holy trinity was just two things and not three wow i'm honored thank you very much thanks <laughs> so for having just, me back on yeah and that's a little segue into if you've not actually watched the adam blythe and matt stevens cafe ride that was a that was a laugh wasn't it it was a good laugh. it rained a lot though do you remember it, it was very rain. cold it is, it i had a rain, nail through my tire lots of fun though Matt. it was a good one actually and very and good, you and, and weirdly it only seems like yesterday, and this I think was, this was a nice way to come on to my kind of first question, because that was 2019, um, the beginning of 2019, wasn't it? And it, it, and you were a pro, and now you're wow, not yeah. not a pro, and you're in this new life. But it does seem like yesterday, because let's face it, 2020 was a, an awful year for for most people in many ways. I mean, there's lots of good to come out of 2020, but it's almost as if 2020 didn't happen. If you know what I mean, it's weird, isn't it? How do you? Because 2020, for you in particular, mate, was a real transitional year because 2019 was your last year as a pro cyclist. And, you know, it's daunting. I must have, it must have been quite daunting for you. Yeah, I think at the time when we did that interview, um, I think, we, yeah, we had the girls then, I think. I think did, we just yeah. had them, I think, yeah. So when we did that, it was, uh, I was probably still focused on being a bike rider. But later on during the season, I knew that I was going to stop and I just couldn't be a bike rider anymore. So even though I stopped at the end of 19, I was already like kind of half stopped in a yeah. way. I'd done a little bit of commentary through the year and bits and bobs. And I spoke to you about about a few things when I was stopping and just for some advice, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think from 2019, when I decided I was stopping, it was a case of making sure I had everything right. So a lot of 2019 was just securing work for myself. Yeah. And trying to get as many jobs as I could, but could basically. Uh, and then fast forward into 2020. It was a strange year. Yeah, really strange. I think strange for everyone. Um, I think when that first lockdown happened, luckily we had beautiful weather. Yeah. So being stuck at home was, it was quite nice actually. We enjoyed it. We had the kids, you know, in the garden most days and just playing around. And if you compare that to the lockdown we've been in over winter, it's just like night and day, you know. I think everyone's fed up as it, whereas the, the summer lockdown, it was a little bit more bearable. But, yeah, 2020 went well, I think. I had the, the job with NBC to go to the Tour de France and get on the back of the motorbike, which was um, a heck of an experience, not just doing that in itself, but working with such a huge company. Mm. I, I learned a hell of a lot about commentary and reporting and how to conduct myself when I'm speaking and, so many more things that it's really, really helped me now with my commentary. Um, I'm super thankful for it because I think it's broadened my sheet a little bit of how to do things. Um, and then, yeah, just bits of commentary, really, working for Genesis, obviously. They uh, 
they're good enough to supply me bikes and Madison Clothing Ambassador for them and a couple of other little brands within in the Madison warehouse. So they've been they've been great to me. And I think the sad thing with lockdown for myself is, you know, you plan to do all these things. Like I've got a load of videos planned to do with Genesis because of lockdown. You're on hold a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which really does, you know, it puts a massive dampener on things. But hopefully now p- things are starting to pick back up. We can get back on track and do some videos. Actually, yeah. one of my highlights um, from last year, I saw Brad yesterday, and this came up in subject, that our ride that we did yes. down to Whitstable. Oh, what a, I mean, what a corking couple of days that was. I mean, um, it, it, that was... That was a couple of days with great mates, and we we had great weather as well. We're really lucky, weren't we? But um, so lucky. Yeah. It, it did. If people are wondering what what was that, I mean, you probably see lots of photos of mine and Adam's social media, and also there's a. It was to do with chapter three, but it wasn't really. A, we didn't really make a film. We made snippets, didn't we? And cause <laughs> a lot a lot of people are still still ask any anytime a, po- a photo pops up of that little ride, people ask, oh, "Where's the video?" And they're kind of. There is like a three or four minute one, but that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was just to have a good time and capture tiny little bits of it. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn. Should we have made more kind of content? But I think sometimes, you know, back in the day when we first started, we just went out for rides, didn't we? And you, you never really took photos or took video. So most of it's just stored in our memory, isn't it? And it reminded me of being young again. Really, it was just such. It was just such a pure experience, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and it was perfectly timed with lockdown. We just came out of a lockdown. And we planned to do it straight away. So everyone was up for it. Everyone was happy to do it. And I think because we'd not seen a lot of mates in a while and everything, it was just the perfect time. As you said, the weather was beautiful. Um, but yeah, we probably could have done a little bit more content with it. We did a thing is, <laughs> thing is like, we, did, we, we, we did a lot of sitting in in pubs, didn't we, as well? Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it was the side of the road. I know. Well, it was it, for, for anybody... Anybody thinking what is this? I mean, you can find it. Head, head to uh, head to our both both our social media social medias into chapter three, and th- there is a video out there, the friends ride. But it was basically we started off at a good friend's house, Stu Clap, down in um, down in South oh, South End on Sea. Yeah, in South End, South End on Sea, and we only rode like a hundred k to um, Whitstable, but it pretty much took us well nearly eleven hours. <laughs> Yeah, it literally <laughs> took eleven hours. But I mean, but when we were riding, because we were like up against it, we were we were tapping along quite nice, weren't we? It was a, a, a quite a, a fir- I would say firm to ever so slightly uncomfortable average speed. We basically raced between cafes and pubs um, and punctures. And oh my god, we had so many punctures, didn't we? But we, yeah, the thing one, is, we, one of the guys had to get an Uber home. <laughs> oh, poor old Nile, poor old Nile. Yeah, yeah had to get him. an Uber back. But the, and then we got basically got got back in the dark being towed along by the legend and the and basically the motorbike that is steve cummings oh my god i've not suffered so much since i was racing mate on on, on his wheel i was just about to say the same thing that is like the hardest i've tried since i've stopped and all i was doing was just sitting on the wheel <laughs> it was awful absolutely awful but no it was good fun very it, good fun it, it was amazing mate and, and i think you know I, I do want to go back to what you talked about a few moments ago in in a bit uh, talking about your uh, experience on the motorbike for NBC but what i think the cafe ride kind of not the cafe ride so the friends ride brings us to mate is quite clearly you've hasn't taken very long i mean it's obviously going to be always there but you've clearly at the moment fallen back in love with with your bike haven't you because it never really went away but i think you cl- you clearly needed to put some distance between yourself 
and riding hard and training to a, a structured training to the level you've got to be to ride in a world tour team. But it appears now from what I can see that you, you're kind of getting fit again, aren't you? And there's a little bit of structure back in. What, what, why is that, mate? So when I was in 2014, I was coached by John Sharples. Uh, So he's trained sharp and I've kept in contact with him ever since. He's been very good to me throughout my career, always offered his help uh, if I wanted it. So he's been very good to me. And um, coming into this year in 2021, I'd always ridden my bike a little bit, but, you know, I started to notice that I'd go out on my bike and I'd just potter around and poot around with, you know, a couple of friends or just on my own and, I'd go out now generally because I love it, but I also like to push myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I just found myself, you know, I'd go out for two hours and I'd just end up, if you're on your own, you end up just doing a two-hour little spin. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's not a lot of fun in there, basically. Um, so John messaged me something about something random. Um, and then we just got chatting about stuff. And I said, look, would you be able to put me a little plan together? just so I can try and get on top of my fitness a bit. And it sounds daft, but even if I go out with one of my friends here or whoever it might be, there's still a part of me that wants to be able to put the hurt on people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't, it's always going to hurt. No matter, there's always one person who's going to make your legs hurt, of course, but I want to be that person that is still able to, you know, give people a hard time if I want to do it. Uh, it, that sounds mean, doesn't it? But it, it, it does. But I, I do, I, I do get it. I mean, you know, we're a, essentially a, ge- a generation apart, really, aren't we? Nearly what nineteen, twenty years age difference between me and you. So yeah. I'm quite advanced. I still ride my bike quite a lot, but I th- feel that as well. I kind of, I want to. I don't necessarily go do it on purpose if we're going out on a social ride with somebody. But if somebody were to put the half wheel on, I could. I'd like to know that I could just give it back a little bit. If they, if you want to yeah, give me a exactly, tease, then yeah. I'm going to, yeah. Or if there's a climb and you decide to, you're quite happy to ride half a bike length in front of me, well, I'm going to try and overtake you. Yes. Exactly that, yeah. Yeah, so it's, and it, it's it's that, isn't it? I, I think whatever kind of level that you still want to kind of hold on and retain that little bit of competitiveness, regardless of the kind of level, it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. I think it's just like you said, if someone's half wheeling or it's just like if someone, even if you're bombing around Richmond Park and you're with a couple of mates and you're just having a little play and attacking each other, you know, pretending you're in a race and that kind of stuff. There's nothing worse than, you know, being involved with that, but not being able to keep up in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's just for that, really. But it's nice to go out as well. When I first started, I was like, oh, this is going to be horrific. But then, you know, just going out and doing two hours, a couple of little sprints in there and just a little bit of structure really just made going out feel like I was getting something out of going on the bike rather than just going out for the heck of it really. But don't get me wrong, a lot of the time I need to go out just for the heck of it, just for a bit of fresh air and just, you know, a bit of headspace and all that kind of stuff. So I still enjoy doing that, but about two times, three times a week, I go out and do some some efforts and have a bit of structure within my training. And I think it's it's helping. Yeah, it's good. What's a no. backup, Matt? What's a backup? What do you mean? <laughs> my what's the back? Oh, you what's a backup? I thought you were asking me a question. <laughs> oh no, sorry, mate. <laughs> so your what's backup? You got again? Anybody listening thinking that was a bit awkward? Uh, Adams, Adams from up north. He's from Sheffield, and and sometimes um, when they ask questions, they 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 just 
asked them quite abruptly from the start. So I thought that was a question, Adam. So apologies. So you watch to back up? Right, yeah. Not slagging off any northern people there, Matt. But yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's a <laughs> all the it's, northerners listening. <laughs> no, it's there's you. you you have an idiosyncratic, uh, localised way of expressing yourself. Yeah, sorry, mate. Sorry. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> the what's are back up, Matthew. What's are back up? Flip it, Eck. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, it's. It, do you do you miss racing though? I mean, you, you obviously no. you, you 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 don't miss racing. Why? Oh, God. If you look at it now, you know when you watched Torino yesterday. Oh God, what a what a race! Oh, Have you watched yeah. it back? Because you're commentating on Paris Nice, haven't you? Yeah, it was really awkward, actually, because I knew the stage it was. And just before we went on air, it was just splitting up and the attacks were happening. It was just one of them races where you have to watch it. <laughs> yeah. In the commentary booth, I'd just put the, the Twitter feed on and I was trying to keep up with the updates while commentating, which I had to stop doing halfway through because I was getting a bit too lost within Torino while trying to commentate. Yeah, <laughs> But no, when I watched that, you know, it, I think if you're in that position where you are you know the front end of that race but even the front end if you look at van der Poel, yeah it's just incredible and then pogaccio incredible and wout van Aert, and you think you know van Aert was a minute behind van der Poel, whatever he was at the finish all yeah. finishing ones and twos and the effort you have to put in it's like you think you're eager banal finishing two minutes behind the leader i know and i think there must be a point of you, you are doing the best numbers of your life, you're racing so hard, but yet you're still two minutes down. And that's those guys, I'd be like 27 minutes down. I mean, <laughs> it'd it, just it, be a case of hanging on and not really racing. Yeah. I mean, For it's, me, um, anyway. it, it looked grew. You can just tell, I mean, I mean, I, I kind of stuck it on with like, I don't know, 40k to go. And obviously Van der Poel was already clear. I thought, well, is he chasing to get back on it or is he away? And it's like, oh, 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 he's away. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it really was something to, I mean, to to kind of behold actually, and I, I and I ended up doing a little bit, not not much, a tiny because I I bloody love it so much. What, a, racing like that, I kind of get involved and live tweet it a little bit sometimes and just throw some stuff in the mix because I kind of want to feel a part of it, especially big races like that unfolding in the way that they did. But we, it is, I mean, and you were obviously commentating on Paris Nice, and that was. Equally as astonishing in a different way, wasn't it? With with Rodlick uh, crashing twice and then losing, you know, the yellow jersey on the final day, despite having won three stages. But we are in a pretty amazing time in terms of bike racing. To be a commentator, like the both of we are, I mean, it's 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 kind of special. It's pretty amazing. It's almost like it's a vintage year, isn't it? I mean, it is it is a privilege to commentate bike races right now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's almost easy. <laughs> it's easy to do it, I think, you know, because there's so much happening all the time and there's always something going on. There's so many riders that are able to win. Uh, and I think the racing, you know, I did a podcast with Bradley yesterday. We are talking about the racing and it's almost gone like full circle, almost like back to like the early 80s when Kelly was racing. And mm. literally every race, everyone just getting stuck in. Uh, and I think it's amazing to watch and it's so unpredictable that, that's what makes it exciting for me. Just the moves so early out, you know, the starting so early out that you're like, wow, this is going to open up the race a lot. And yeah. it just creates drama. And ultimately, it just it is brilliant entertainment for us. So for me to do the commentating on it and yourself, it's it almost becomes easier to do it just because there is always something to talk about. I think it is quite an interesting one. And um, although there's more, when you look at some of the smaller races, although the smaller races this year have been have been amazing, but quite often it's it's harder to commentate on on one of the lesser known stage races with this with a kind of 
not so many superstars in the field because you have to do a lot more homework to kind of recognize riders, understand teams. And it's harder yeah. to call a race because you can't identify the riders. Now, although there's generally more people watching the bigger races and there's more more eyeballs on it, a little bit more pressure, it is easier because of the familiarity. There's a You have this stronger kind of depth of knowledge about the riders, don't you? And, and the way that the races are being conducted, not to say that some of the smaller races aren't, aren't exciting, but it is easy because... It just comes. You just—it's just passionate, isn't it? You know, what yeah. you're kind of talking about, and and every single maneuver, every single move, every single bit of interplay, every kind of nod of the head, or every little discussion between two riders, you kind of can imagine what what might be said, and you just want to share it. And clearly, your commentating style—you know, Adam—I know you're very early in in your commentary c- career, but I think what I mean—and you've been really really well received, as you know. But I think the thing that I like about it, without blowing smoke up your backside, mate, is your enthusiasm not just the knowledge there's a genuine joy at what you're saying and there's so there's this knowledge because you've pretty much fresh out of the peloton you've obviously ridden um you come across very well but i think what a lot of people like and what kind of the every man and every woman kind of like is the fact that you're excited like the rest of us and that that comes across and it doesn't spoil it i think it just gives it this kind of um effervescence mate yeah, it's good. I think, you know, I've always loved bike race. And I think when you go back to a little kid and you watch bike race and it was always like, oh, my God, he's doing it. Or when Cav was fit, you're like, oh, yeah. it's, just, <laughs> it's just brilliant to watch. And like you said about, you know, the generation that's riding now, we are spoiled with them. You know, they are so, you've got Van Aert who's climbing with the top 10 riders in the world. You've got him winning sprints against the best sprinters in the world. You've got Roglic riding off on climbs and having all this drama along with crashes and things and there is just so much to talk about and I think you know with riding in the peloton yourself included you get this a little bit of a deeper understanding of um, people's emotions on the bike a little bit I think that is the main thing that we do forget about a little bit is we can almost understand a little bit how they might feel in a certain situation and not physically but almost mentally and yeah, you know, there's there's so much to to a bike race that is so mentally demanding. Um, yeah. I think you know, like Terreno is a great example. Yesterday, where the race has still got seventy five k to go, and there's only thirteen riders at the front. You imagine if you know you've got seventy five k to go, you're trying to win that race, and you're already dropped. It must just be like, oh, God, <laughs> it's, it's just hell. But you can you can understand it and appreciate it and. I think I have a deeper appreciation for the riders that are making it hard of actually how impressive it is. Yeah. And and I think a, a race like Torino yesterday, I mean, almost immediately, the weather conditions as well defeat a lot of riders. I mean, although, you know, pro cyclists, you know, by their very nature, you have to be harder, you have to be able to adapt. Let's face it, some in, in conditions like that, there will be a lot of riders, and this isn't a disrespectful thing to say, that will basically shut up shop and just survive. I mean, oh, yeah, it's sure. a long season. I mean, because you know your limitations, especially against some of the riders there. On a day like that, suddenly, the kind of group of riders that can win is far smaller, isn't it? It's just immediately, okay, pretty much 80% of the field are going to be out. I mean, they're not going to be yeah, in, yeah, in the mix definitely. at the end. It just it, it, That is just a fact. You, you quite often would open the, the shutters or open your curtains from the hotel, look at the weather, and you'd know almost how the race was going to play out. Or you could imagine, okay, from these 10 riders, this is going to be the winner today. It's yeah, just the, exactly. way, the way it kind exactly, of works. Yeah. I think, think Alaphilippe's a good example of yesterday, you know, pushing on at the front, normally a day that would suit him down to the ground. The rain started falling. 
he obviously didn't have great legs, but he just pulled the pin straight away. As soon as he got yeah. dropped, he was like, Matt, I'm out. That's it. Done. That's yeah. a great example of it. Yeah. I think but before we kind of move on to yourself a little bit more, that the thing that I'm enjoying about this current crop of riders, um, <clears throat> I think that everybody's enjoying, is the fact that, especially Van der Poel, I mean, he's, he's that talented that rather than kind of hold hold back, he's willing to basically, although yesterday apparently his explanation for going clear was to was to stay warm, and I can see that, you know, I, I can see that. So, because I've often, I, I've got in early moves in cold races um, or just sat on the front and, and ridden just because, okay, I'm spending more energy, but actually I'm feeling better because I'm, I'm warm. I hated being cold in races, so I can see that. But the fact that he is willing, he obviously has got this capacity, this ability, this gift but what he what he's willing to do is sacrifice it all to test it. He's he's willing yeah. to lose to test his limitations, and it's it's amazing to watch, isn't it? Because he doesn't ride like he does ride like an old school rider from like the nineteen eighties. He's willing to take risks, and I think there are more and more riders who are looking to that and willing to do the same as well. And so we've got this wonderful crop of exceptionally talented riders who are riding in a very unpredictable way, but within that. It's only going to give them more confidence because it, it's it's like when you're young, Adam, isn't it? You know, when you rather than sit in a bunch and wait, although you were a sprinter, quite often the best way to test yourself and to become confident was to take a few gambles and get in moves early on and go for it just to see what happens. Because otherwise you never know what it's like to get your nose in the wind and really test the own the, the boundaries of your own physiology. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to end up in some sort of situation, aren't you, in a bike race where you're going to have to do what you don't want to do. Yes. <laughs> it's just part of the bike race. And I think, yeah, I used to do it every now and again, just follow a few moves and attacks and see how you can actually feel. But yeah, I think it's, for him especially, I think he knows what he's capable of. Um, but it's just how long he's capable of it for. And like you said, just really pushing the boundaries with stuff. Yeah. I don't think he calculates stuff in his head. And I don't know if that's because he's so strong that he's not quite tactically astute really because I don't think yeah. he's the most I don't think he's the smartest guy in the peloton he's just one of no. the strongest and he seems yeah. to be able to do what he wants when he wants but interestingly yesterday when he rode off uh, from the front it wasn't really an attack he just sort of trickled off the front of the group yeah and, and he was eating at the same time wasn't he <laughs> yeah but I think that's you know it that was like the GC race behind that was happening, you know, like he's not, we're not bothered about that. We're not bothered about the stage. The guys in that front group are bothered about GC and watching those guys. So I yeah. think that would have been interesting if it was on the first day with those weather conditions, yes. how things changed it. But, um, but for me personally, I think, you know, Van der Poel is absolutely an amazing rider. But if you look at the stages that Wout Van Aert has done, yeah, I think it's almost more impressive. The results not shown it, but the first day he wins a bunch sprint. The second day he got third up that hilly finish with Alaphilippe winning and Van der Poel, and then the third day he led it out. Pretty much, he had to close Stebar's wheel. Yeah, um, still managed to roll second from six hundred meter lead out, basically. And then the day after, climbing the way he did. <laughs> Yeah. He's just, you know, Van der Poel that day, as we talk about him being the best at the minute, he just sat up on the climb. He tootled up there, 250 watts, nice and easy. Wout Van Aert probably rode up there at 480 watts. Yeah. And, you know, going so deep as he did. And then the day after, doing what he did yesterday as well, is just unbelievable for a rider to go that deep in all the de- all the days, you know. He's not once... Like at the finish of any race this week, he's taken it easy. He's sat back. 
every yeah. day he's being up there hitting it at the front and to be able to keep backing that up it's like wow he is something incredible like really incredible i i think it, it was it led dan dan lloyd didn't it to say is, is there anybody else that could sprint and ride with the climbers and there are a few in the, you know lauren jalabair sean kelly yeah. for example there's probably the two best examples of the ride like that but when you look at what he did do i mean and i'm just looking back at the results and at the time of obviously talking about this and the, the terrain has still got a couple of days to run of course so anything can happen but um he's finished top 10 on every stage his worst was ninth the de tivo uh third in the yeah so and i think the fact on that mountain stage is the fact that he didn't have any teammates left and had to lead had to ride on the front and set his own tempo as well. You almost, yeah. you, I'm kind of stepping back from this and thinking, could he actually win a grand tour? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you kind of, it's like maybe that's one a bit too far, maybe he could win. But and the way he rode in the mountains in the Tour de France last year, he is, I think, Van der Poel is an exceptionally complete rider, but I do agree with you. They're both striking similarities, but I think, Van Art has something else. I think he has. I think he has an, another depth to his physiological capacity, which is by each race we, we're just kind of looking at and thinking, "Oh my God!" You know, you know, is he? He clearly is a, almost like a once in a generation rider. Still, a lot of riding to do to kind of prove that potential. But he is astonishing, isn't he? Absolutely astonishing. Yeah, and he's just he's a complete rider. Belgium national time trial champion. You know, world time cross champion three times climbing with you know dropping guys that have won the Tour de France yeah uh, winning sprints against Caleb Ewan and Gaviria he's just unbelievable and I think yeah it's Van der Poel of course is his main competition but ultimately I think Wout van Aert is the more complete rider for me and that's no yes. disrespect to Van der Poel he's yeah he's bloody amazing isn't he no um not at all. No, he is he is something very, very special. And as we said, he, it is a pleasure, I think, to to talk about these riders and and, and um yeah, so to see things unfold basically. I mean Exactly. I don't think he'd get the Strava around Richmond Park as we did though, mate. No, that was that was astonishing. That was absolute Oh 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 hold on a minute. What the heck? Random question alert. Random question alert. Random question alert. Oh, it is time for a random question. Oh, blindly. I've just, just give me a moment. I'm just going to go and tear off the slip from the um, random question generator machine. It was installed. Uh, it was installed a couple of weeks back. Um, uh, Sigma Sports head, headquarters insisted that we have the random question generator on, on the podcast. I've got a massive big machine in my loft. Uh, and it just it, it it goes off and then it fires off a question. I've not seen this question, Adam. And I'm, and I'm going to read it to you now. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Hit me. What is the most annoying colour? <laughs> wow. Um... Yeah. They are random. Uh, they are questions and they are indeed generated. Oh, God, the most annoying colour. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to look around and look for really annoying colours, really. Um... I mean, because you're a man of, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you, you're, you're bold, aren't you, in terms of colour choices quite often. So, so there can't be many that really offend you. No, I'm really not offended by many colours, to be honest. Yeah. I do think that certain colours do offend you for certain things. Yes. Like, I'm not offended by pink, but I wouldn't drive a bright neon pink car. Okay, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. But no, I'm, I'm not really offended by any colour, Matt. 
So the answer, uh, I'm just trying to think. I'm not a big fan of neon. What? But it's okay in some contexts, like, you know, most Italian second division teams, you know, they're happy in neon, (laughs) you know, um, and and they will, they've worn neon since neon was invented. Um, But I think they did invent neon. Yeah. Well, actually neon was invented apparently as as a, as a color pigment in the late 1800s and Edward Munk the um the guy that painted the screen was one of the first ever painters to use to use it so we it was actually color pigment invented a long time oh, ago mate every day go. is a school day thanks every for that day, every day is indeed a school day so no um most annoying color yeah sorry I about we, I don't really have one no that's no, a strange one. It's a good question, though. I'm mean, very, very, whoever sent that in, I think it, don't think anybody did send it in. I think it's just generated by a computer, uh, which is sat in my loft. But um, yeah, sorry about that. Unbelievable bit of equipment in that loft there. Yeah, it's big. It takes up a lot of space. I had to move a lot of our musical, in, a lot of guitars out. But um, And it's quite dusty. It looks like they might have got it from a kind of, I don't know, from a kind of NASA Chernobyl building that closed. Yeah, it's, it's, it does have a kind of, yeah, it does have, actually have a kind of Eastern European late 1970s, early 80s vibe to it. Anyway, um, Adam. Uh, mate, it's okay. Got spools of tape on it. And um, it's that kind of paper that comes out the bottom with like holes in the side, you know, from like. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah. It's that sort Beautiful. of stuff. Nice. Um, take yourself back, Adam, to 2007. And the the junior the th- the Axel tour the three days Van Axel, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, you you won that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I found out a story about this recently. I've got one um, as well. That was what I was teeing up. But tell me your story first. Well, it might be the same. I don't know. Oh, go on and tell me then. Go on. So Dagan Colton and Gilbert are in a team now, uh, yeah. together as teammates. Spent a lot of time together and whatnot, and. I called Phil one night and I was just chatting to him about some random stuff and John was in the room with him, didn't really speak up, just said hello in the background. And then I later got a voice message from him saying, John was telling me a story about the Junior Axel Tour, Mm. but you won overall and John was, I can't remember where he was, but he said, how do we beat Blythe? And John jokingly said in the meeting with his team, we need to just take him out. And one of the guys went, yep, okay, I'll take him out. (laughs) And I remember it, he did take me out. I crashed (laughs) Flipping out! Yeah. What a proper awful thing to do, but yeah, they did it. They sacrificed it, but I still won. Yeah, because you you won the opening stage. Um, yeah. Um, then you were sta- you were eighth in the TT, mate. I would imagine oh, good it was, ride. It was a, it was a seven point eight eight K one. Um, you were then th- second on stage three. Then you then to cap it off, to cap an incredible three days, you won the final stage. So what stage did you crash? <laughs> I think it was early on in one of those stages. I think the day I was second, maybe. But right. yeah, I just remember like halfway through the stage, the German national team came up, the Germans, and yeah, just just binned it in front of a bloke. Flipping <laughs> heck. So yeah, dirty blooming buggers. Is it worth, I mean, I'm just wondering if it's worth an inquiry. Um, but the thing is, you, you won overall, didn't you? So there's no, there's no real, there's no point in penalising John and his and his and his cohorts back then. Some yeah, time because it, in your it face. wouldn't make any difference. So, so John Degenkolb, um, John, that was a bit naughty, but it yeah. doesn't matter because he won overall. Uh, so when you do speak uh, to Phil Jill, tell him that Matt's it was a bit naughty. My story, I mean, the reason basically I've 
uh, kind of shoehorned the actual tour into this podcast, mate, <laughs> is because obviously our careers didn't overlap because of the age gap between us. We have ridden bicycles together, but we haven't ridden in anger apart yeah. from that. Uh, apart I from think Richmond we Park, did once I think we did once. Did we? In 2009 at the Nationals Halesy one. Oh. Or 2008. Oh. Halesy, when did he win? Must have been 2008, I think he won. Yeah, so, I think it was my first year amateur. I did that Nationals. Miller was there and a couple of others. Lloydie? Lloydie was there, yeah. That's yeah. it, because me and Lloydie and Halesy got in the break, um, and I, I blew my tits big time. Yeah, yeah, so I was actually in that race, although we didn't cross paths. No. We might have just sort of glanced at each other without knowing in the future that we'd be friends. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, one so, day, one day. Well, so, well, so I didn't really need to, sh- to shoehorn this in, but uh, I rode the Axle Tour when I was a, a junior back in 1988, and I had a crash. I don't know whether wow, I was, Matt, it I wasn't was even born then. Yeah, I don't know whether it was John Dagen Cobb's grandfather that asked that said <laughs> to throw a person in front of Matt Stevens, who's quite a handy uh, lad from Britain. But I remember doing that race, and first and foremost, it was the first time I'd ridden in a massive bunch abroad. So oh, it was wow. a real like it was like whoa. I mean, obviously, I'd ridden in a bunch at home and was doing all right, but it was a bit of an eye opener. But basically, I crashed. Uh, I was okay, but I got up, and my rear mech had come off. Um, but oh. it broken on the frame, so it snapped. It was now aluminium Peugeot Vitus frame, and it snapped off. So basically, I was at the side of the road for ages, um, and there was no. We didn't have. I don't have a spare bike. So what they did, they basically und, undid the chain, took off the rear mech, shortened the chain, and for the rest of that stage, I had a single gear. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I had fifty-two fifteen. Um, oh, and, just, and that was it. And, and I was just on my, just on my own. There's a couple of guys out the back as well, but I just had to ride, um, 52, 15 on a, on a single, single speed bike for like Christ. 40k. Yeah. That was, that oh, was well, good training that. for the next stage. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it was, I then had to ride a Dutch, a Dutch guy's bike. I think we managed to find a spare bike for another team, which I rode for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, flipping it. Yeah. Oh mate. That was, oh, think of the cadence that benefit gave you though. Oh, I was I was twiddling, mate. I was. Tw- I mean, it was maximum gear back then, wasn't it? But um, yeah. and luckily, in in the Netherlands, there's not a lot of big climbs in certain areas, is there? It was a pre- it's a pretty flat race, isn't it? Yeah, super flat. There's like maybe one little climb that is no more than a motorway bridge, really. So yeah. luckily for you, in that situation, you yeah. were all right. Yeah. No, it was. But anyway, that's that's my tenuous link to um, the Axle Tour, and it is one of those. Actually, it's not a race anybody kind of talks about, but in when you look at world cycling and and kind of male junior big races, as a junior, that is a big event, isn't it? It's all the hitters um, go yeah. to that. It's quite a big, prestigious race to to ride and to obviously win, like you did, mate. Yeah, I think it is. You know, like looking back on it, it's it was quite a big race. I guess we went there with like a full team. I was like McNally, uh, yeah, McNally there, Pete Kenyon there. I think Rowie wasn't there, or he might have been. I can't remember if he was in that age group then, because it was juniors. Um, but yeah, it was. It was just like um, it was like a little nations cup, I think they used to call them. Yeah, or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it was back then. It was a it was a nice win, a good victory. Yeah, I was just looking back at the race you did before that, and it was Paru Bay Juniors, wasn't it? And he was sixth in that. Oh yeah, that was horrific. I should have won that day, but I just didn't have the legs, Matt. Do you, uh, for, this isn't the this isn't the quiz. But do you know who the first three riders were? Because one was a future teammate of yours, I think. 
Oh, God, no, I do not. Well, a guy that I've never heard of, one called Fabien Telefer from France. Yeah. Uh, Jens de Boucherer was second. Oh, yeah, I remember Jens, yeah. Yeah, and then a guy called Paolo Locatelli of Italy was third. That was the podium, mate, and you were, you were just behind Matteo Catania. Um, well, there you go. But also just ahead of um, Chris Yule Jensen, Tim de, Tim de Klerk was 11th, mate. You, there you, out, go. you were one second ahead of the tractor. Yeah, it's weird with all these guys. So Yenzi, Jens de Boucher, I grew up uh, racing with him. Yeah. So when I was like 14, 13, always going over to Belgium and doing these races, I constantly raced with him. Right. It was really odd until, like, we obviously raced until last year. I stopped together, so it's nice to that you can still carry on racing when you're 30 years old together, when you started when you were 15 or whatever. It was good. That's what I do like about it. I mean, it, it is an unusual sport in that sense that you've got, and when it, you've still got, obviously, Phil Gill riding, as, as you say, and there are, I mean, the fact that there's 20, it can be 20, nearly 20 years between riders in the World Tour who are riding together. I mean, all that kind of mix of experience is just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing, but it must be daunting, you know, for those guys that are <laughs> Gilbert and you've got a 19-year-old or whatever it is, like Pidcock, 21, whatever it oh, is, God, yeah. just rocking around at the front, this Pogaccia, 22 years old and just absolutely dominating yeah. the sport, really. It must be like, oh, crikey, he's going to get home and just have a few stretches. I'm going to have to get home and lay my foam roller for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so talking about, I mean, with with the kind of breadth of, of the big age differential and therefore experience differential out in the peloton and, and, and indeed within within teams, what was the best piece of advice you ever got, Adam, from a teammate, do you think, in your career? And how early? Yeah, and when was that? Because obviously you've been, yeah, you know, although you're still a young man, you've been with several teams, so you've been, you've had the opportunity to be with a lot of different kind of teammates. So yeah, who gave you, who gave you the, the best piece of really solid advice, mate? Uh, it's really difficult, I think, because I don't, it's not really advice to race you. I think I was always a very efficient rider in the mm. terms of I'd never put myself in a bad position. I'd never waste energy just willy-nilly. So I was never really given that any advice for sort of racing my bike. It's the training side of it, which obviously I was given a lot of advice on. Um, yeah. But I remember when I moved to Belgium, and uh, it's kind of to do with racing, I guess, but Tim Harris, who I lived with, still a great friend now, he said to me, you have to remember, within all of this, this is just a business. You have to remember right. it's not a family. It's not what you perceive it to be. It's not what they lead you to perceive it is going to be because it's not it is just a business and you have to remember that and right you know the the more i got into my career you know you realize that you know when you go to your first training camp and welcome to the family the new riders and it's great to have you on board blah 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 next year two of them riders are gone yeah hardly a family is it? it's just business (laughs) you just dropped on your ass that's it done finished you're not anything to do with us anymore Uh, And that really stuck with me. And I think a lot of things now, you know, when you see people stop riding and, you know, some of them are like, oh, you know, the team didn't really give me a fair chance and blah, 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 whatever the reasons might be, you know, it's just the same as any other job. You know, if you're in business doing whatever it is, selling product, I don't know, but it is, it, sport is just a business. And that really stuck with me throughout my career. I think... uh... I didn't expect it to. Well, I didn't know what your answer was going to be, but I mean, Tim Harris is is somebody, as you just said, we both know very well, an ex-pro, ex-British champion, a journeyman pro, spent a lot of time racing abroad, didn't he? Rode for several British teams, rode for Festina back in the early early days yeah. in the nineteen eighties, and a lovely, <clears throat> a lovely bloke. 
I think he's back with, is he with Bahrain at the moment or is he moved he is, on yeah, again? He's a yeah, he's with Bahrain, yeah. That's it. But you know, massively experienced, uh, lovely, lovely rider. And um, again, amongst uh, many of you won't have heard of him, but he's actually, you know, quite an important part of, of looking after younger riders, younger British riders and international riders who, who basically go to Belgium. He, he will sort people out with teams, places to stay. And he's also an importer of furniture as well, isn't he? He's a bit of um, yeah. bit of an Arthur dealer. Daly type as well, isn't he? he is, he's a fascinating character. But that's a really, when you think about that piece of advice, it's kind of, it, there's a brutality to it. It's like, but it, it's right. He is right, isn't he? Yeah. Because yeah, although you yeah. see riders tweeting about, oh, you know, one team, one family and all that sort of stuff. And clearly there are relationships within teams and it's important to foster an environment that feels like you're part of a family to get the most out of you. But ultimately, when you're when you're no longer, you know, um, of value to the team, that that, that you know, there's, there's no blood thick and water. You're gone, aren't you? And, and yeah, there is exactly, a yeah. real, and it's, so to ha- maybe be prepared for that, I, that probably was, a, you know, that's a very, very solid piece of advice, isn't it? Yeah, it was. He was very good. He gave lots of advice, really. I think it's coming more relevant now. You know, Tim was always, when he was never into power meters and all that kind of stuff, still isn't. You know, he understands it more now because of his role at Bahrain, but he is very much of the opinion. You know, if you're going out training, just go out and train. Go out and train properly. You don't need to go do all your what. You don't need to do all this. Just go out and train properly. Go out for seven hours. Just get it done. Yeah. Um, so he's very much of the old school generation, but he always used to say to me in a race, um, if you're going to do anything, make sure you do something. <laughs> Don't just right. be a number, do something, go in the break, you know, get a bloody points jersey for getting the bonus classifications on the sprint. Do yeah. something where you are seen. Uh, and that's when I was growing up trying to become a professional. He was just, whatever you're doing, just make sure in some way or shape or form, your name comes up on some sort of result sheet for something yeah. you're not 50th um, i think it, that's a, do you know what that's a really really for any, i think any any young rider who's listening to this podcast and that piece of advice that the two pieces of advice that tim's just given you are ex- exceptionally valid and and i've managed a small team you know with sigma sports back in the day and although i wasn't really a coach i kind of ended up doing a little bit of coaching but trying to give riders as much advice as i had as i had and and one of it was that is yeah don't because there's quite a few riders that I've I've come across and, and and observed over the years that basically all they want to do is save as much energy as they can in the bunch, not attack, not get in a breakaway, but maybe just beat one of their teammates and just come oh, rather man, than yeah. come. Like, oh, oh, I I finished thirty first today. I didn't do anything, yeah. but but then my next teammate who got in the break, he was fiftieth at four minutes. It's like yeah, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. There yeah, are yeah. so many riders who think. I'm going to ride anonymously. I still think that happens and now, I'm then, just, Matt. In the, yeah. in, the Brit, in the peloton, like the pros, it's like to be the best Brit finisher that's not, you know, like not the Geraint Thomas in the Frooms and this lot. But it still happens now within like, oh, yeah, you know, the Gruppetto's a minute behind me. I've still got 10k up this mountain to go. Should I probably go back and go a bit easier? Or, well, oh, I could probably put another minute into him. And it's like, why? You're yeah. 110th already, mate. Just go yeah. back into the group. Oh, no one cares. And also, save yourself for tomorrow. You... Getting them up. Yeah, save exactly. yourself. Yeah, I think spending the wrong energy. I, I, there was a lot, but I think kind of giving riders that advice. It's just making them kind of confident because a lot of them is, don't have confidence as well. And um, but it, it takes 
making a bit of a gamble and taking a bit of a risk to start to build that confidence and escaping oh, the yeah, clutches massively. of the peloton yeah. is what you've got to get used to. You know, that, yeah. um, it's, it's, um, I was very, Adam, very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> now, on my, I, I always bring, or I have a moleskin um, little notepad in my, um, in my possession when I, when I do the, the podcast now, and I've got a quiz for you now at the top of the page, um, and I did mention this before we, we, we recalibrated and started again. Um, I've got the Sheffield quiz, which I'm going to introduce in a moment to you, but I've got the words bubble and squeak and corned beef written just above. <laughs> do you, this isn't part of the quiz, but do you know anything about that? Oh, I know what it is. When I arranged to do this podcast, did you say that you're going to have bubble and squeak for your dinner? Uh, no, I said I'm going to, I had... <laughs> <laughs> so random. So I was down in Bath in the Covent. We, we, so we went on to do this podcast, but there was a problem with the app that we use it on. And I'd just That's got right. back from commentary. Um, and you said something like, oh, how's it going or something? I, just, I got back in and I didn't have anything in the fridge apart from a packet of corned beef. And That's I really it. like corned beef. <laughs> so, yeah, I just ate, I think it was four slices of corned beef just on their own on a plate. Flipping heck! So yeah, I do love a bit of corned beef, mate. See, I—I I mean, mum, mum used to get us corned beef um, quite a lot in the in the seventies and the eighties, and I, I never really liked it that much. But because you it's come on you leaps know, and bounds, it, has it? Well, Is it worth know, I never, trying? I think you should try it. Yeah, it is, it's, I really like it. I mean, get in, get in contact in the comments, either on uh, either on. Um, well, it's not on YouTube because it's a podcast. There's no comment section, so basically on on Twitter or on Instagram, um, ha, you know, at Sigma Sports, at, at, at Adam Blythe eighty nine, and at Real Stevens. Do you like corned beef or not? Um, and also, have you tasted bubble and squeak? Now, bubble and squeak for anybody internationally who's thinking, what on earth is bubble and squeak? It's a traditional dish made of leftover cabbage and potatoes and anything else really on your plate. So if if you had a roast dinner on a Sunday, um, generally on the Monday, all the bits off the plate were basically squashed into a frying pan and fried, weren't they? Yes, and that, lovely. And it's absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? Bubble and squeak. Yeah. It's basically like just having a roast dinner, but you can just eat it all at once. It's like a roast dinner burger, only one in there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, a bubble and squeak burger. Oh, now we're honestly. Talking. So wherever you're listening, if you've got any leftovers on your plate, uh, whatever part of the world you live in, basically squidge it together overnight and then <laughs> get, a, get a frying pan or a wok, whack it, a bit of oil, fry it up, and basically it's like a mini version of the meal that you had the day before. I tell Beautiful. you what, Matt, this LeBlanc tour that we're going to be doing, where we're going with all these Raymond Blanc and these chefs, I wonder if, you know, we should give them a few tips on cooking bubble and we squeak. Could <laughs> we could do. Uh, I think corned beef and bubble and squeak are the order of the day, mate. The order yeah, of the day. I think so, yeah. Listen, everyone, you're not going to have that fancy food. It's bubble and squeak and corned beef. Thanks for coming. I'd, I'd, I'd sign up, but only for the bubble and squeak, not the corned beef. Anyway, oh, yeah. we talked about corned beef for a bit too long. Uh, Adam's, from, Adam's from Sheffield. It's time for the Sheffield Quiz. The Sheffield Quiz. The Sheffield Quiz. Now it's time for the Sheffield Quiz. <laughs> were, you, were, you, mate, were you slightly dancing and moonwalking around the living room? Just in shock. <laughs> oh, dear, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Oh. No, no. I, I, again, um, every week uh, these these jingles do get longer and longer. Again, it's Niall 
again, our, our wonderful producer, just trying to slot himself a little bit further into the podcast each week. That's a cracker, Niall. Well done. Uh, so, so I've got three questions here. Um, I mean, you live in Bollington at the moment, but you brought up in Sheffield. So I've got three questions based on Sheffield. But Adam, don't worry. They are multiple choice, okay? So yeah. don't stress too much okay. uh, and don't get too nervous. Although I'd okay. like you to be a little bit nervous if that's okay. Right, here we go. So focus, mate. So question number one. The Sheffield coat of arms has a shield and a knight's helmet at its centre, flanked by what either side? Okay, so the coat of arms of Sheffield has a shield and a knight's helmet in the middle, and either side is what? Okay, is it A, a man dressed as Thor and a lion? Is it B, a bear and a man dressed in a red toga? Or is it C, a man dressed as Thor and a man in a red toga? Alexa. <laughs> You can't, you can't phone a friend, even if, she, if, it, even if it's a digital one. Uh, I've got to go with A. It's wrong. Oh, sorry, I meant B. Sorry, I meant B. It, it's actually C. So, uh, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> if there's a man dressed as Thor to the to the left uh, with a little, he looks got he's got Thor's helmet on, and, and a, he hasn't got a hammer. He's got. A, it's kind of got like a pair of pliers. It's kind of weird. You want to check it out? <laughs> and a, and a so man awesome. dressed in a in a in a red toga. Um, check it out. Um, right. Yeah, we, we might actually put it on on the web. Uh, we generally do a little montage. We'll have a picture of you, picture of me, something from Sheffield, maybe an Arctic monkey, um, or a pair of pliers, or a pair of pliers. We'll, we'll stick it on. <laughs> we'll, we'll get Niall to dig out a coat of arms. So so basically, so far you've got nothing uh, right, and even. Even your second your second dig, mate, was wrong. So, uh, anyway, you can pick it up from here. Question number two. Okay, the world's first ever football club, Sheffield Football Club or Sheffield FC, was formed in 1857. So there's a fact for you straight away. So the yeah. world's ever first ever football club was called Sheffield Football Club, formed in 1857. By who? So by a group of what? I say so. A group of people formed the first ever football club. Was it a Steelworkers, was it B, cricketers, or was it C, pub landlords? It's either A or C. I'm going to say them two. You're going to say both A and C. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good try, mate. God. Ducking hey. and diving. No wonder you were good at sprints and bloody uh, riding in echelons. It's just bobbing and weaving all the time. A. It's wrong. Or C. It's mm. wrong. It's cr- it was B, a group of cricketers oh, formed. This is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I know. Is that, there are only facts, mate. I've only, uh, these are just the facts. But I added in steelworkers and pub landlords because, A, we like, well, still, it's the steel city, isn't it? And, B, we yeah. like pubs. Um, so cricketers. I know. No it's what weird. So, and, but it, it's not the same as Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday. That Sheffield FC is a continue to be like an amateur team, apparently. That is the world's oldest football club. Yes. No, it's the world's first football club as well. So it's the world's oldest and the world's first proper foot, um, football club. Um, yeah, their training ground is just down the road from where I used to live. Bloody hell, there you go. Yeah, so well, I, I, I should I tell have you more about that. I'm going to give you half a point for that little fact. Although, you know, mm. yeah. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, it's been refused. Sorry. <laughs> Nettie, now you're man. Come on. 
<laughs> so <laughs> heading into friends. heading into the final question. Uh, so get yourself ready. You can still pull this around and get yourself a point on the board. All right. Is it just three questions? This yeah, it's just three. No, there's four. There's four questions. Oh right, right, great. So sorry, I had a little chance. one. You know when you you're writing in really bad writing and you go into the last line on a page and it doesn't look like it's <laughs> really actually small. Yeah, I saw what it is. I found it. So anyway, question three first. Sheffield has two commercial newspapers. Okay, from this list of five, only two are correct. Okay, so there's two commercial newspapers in Sheffield. I'm going to list five. Only two are right. The others are ringers that I've inserted myself. Okay. <laughs> A, the Sheffield Sun. B, the Star. Yep. So that's B. a tick, yeah? Okay. B, yeah, B. C, the Sheffield Bugle. Nope. D, the Sheffield Metropolitan. Ooh. E, the Sheffield Telegraph. Metropolitan. Well, you got the Star right. So you got points. Sorry, sorry, I got the other one wrong. It's the last one. The Sheffield Telegraph. Yeah. Correct, Amundo, mate. Hundred yes. percent in question number three. Oh, the audience are going wild. Can't that's the first time. That, thanks, mate. That's the, <laughs> that's the first time we, oh, you haven't got the newspapers on the side of you. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I just don't, oh. the Alexa volume doesn't come on again. All oh, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Um. Here we go. You're trying to read that writing, though, aren't you? <laughs> oh no, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, no, because I've I've written it, crossed it out, written it again, and then used arrows to replace some of the words in a funny order. So, so I'm Brilliant. having to read it. Brilliant. Right. Question four, the final question, and the Sheffield quiz, Adam. Okay, Sheffield has the highest density of Morris dancing teams in the country. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. But God. how many teams are there? Are there A, 11, B, 12, or C, 13? So Sheffield has the highest density of Morris dancing teams in the country, in Great Britain. How many has it? 11, 12, or 13? Let's go with the middle one. 12, I'm not a clue. You're sure, 12? Maybe maybe 13. 13, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's 13, correct! Yes. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, mate. Beautiful. Oh! Clapping. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, we, I mean, if anybody's listening, this is we are filmed in front of a live uh, studio audience, and they haven't been very animated, have they? They've sort of not said much until you got the questions right. But no, fifty um, percent, mate, in that quiz. So well done, mate. That's not too bad at all. I'd, I'd say that's average, better than average. That I think that's I think it's pretty decent, mate. I think it's pretty decent. Cheers, um, mate, and well done to you for coming up with them questions. No, it, it's it's a proper little bit of research. I do immerse myself in in the in these uh, in these podcasts, especially especially the quizzy bits. It's quite a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, no, I, t- I don't know how you got onto the Morris dancers, but yeah, well done. Yeah, um, yeah, Morris dancing. Have you ever Morris danced? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Let's um, let, let's move on. Let's move on. So, um, okay, Adam, what don't we know about you, including? What are, what don't I know about? Is there something that you like to share with the wider public listening to this podcast that we don't already know? Because we know there's a lot written about you. We can hear what you have to say. Um, tell us something a bit strange, but not too strange, because it's a family. It's a family show. Oh my god, I don't know something you don't know about me. That's yeah, very is difficult. It, is there something that you're kind of into or interested in that, or that you do, uh, or that you find 
that gives you pleasure that you haven't really kind of shared with anybody or don't normally or nobody norm- normally asks you about no i'm quite an open book hmm. wear my heart on my sleeve sort of guy um hmm. i can't really answer that question max i'm there's nothing like i keep hidden about myself really okay um no not particularly if you didn't know already i have three kids twin girls who are two and a little boy who's three and a half that's probably it really because i don't really it's going to keep too you pretty... much about them on social media that's going to keep you pretty busy though isn't it you know yeah you and, you and, you and kelly you're pretty busy a bit yeah. of a must be a bit of a a pleasant handful i mean yeah. it's a full house isn't it at, at times at times indeed mate okay then well in, instead of that then talk us through i mean I noticed the other day, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know whether it was where it kind of started from, and it was several um, ex-pros and pros sharing on Instagram their best victories, um, accompanied by video footage. And, um, mm. and you fired one up there because you've had several, you know, high-profile wins in, in your in your career. Um, but that ride, London one, I know it's like it, it's kind of one of those rides that really kind of. It's a real identifier in terms of your career, you know, that you want yeah. one of your biggest wins. And, and you were riding for a British domestic team, N- NFTO at the time. And I'm not saying it was a surprise win, but it was a cracking field, wasn't it, for that race? It's the biggest single day race in the, you know, in Britain, apart from the nationals, yeah. which you've won as well. Just talk us through the last few Ks, mate, because I, I, I really do love watching that finish. The way you kind of finished it off, the company that you were with, and I know a lot of people know about it, but from your perspective, mate, come, you're in that group coming along the bank banks of the River Thames before you swung left. I mean, 5K to go, what's going through your mind, mate? And tell it to, just talk us through the last few K, as if you were almost commentating on yourself. <laughs> uh, so coming into that last few K, we were, it was on the embankment there. And I don't know if anyone's ridden down the embankment, but all the bridges across the road, just as you're going down the embankment, the ridges to your right, they have a little rise in the road, only a little bit where it starts to go at the bridge. And it's only like... 20 meters long whatever it is but it's just a tiny little rise that mm. could be enough for us a launch pad for an attack from basically no one apart from me and swifty in that group i was expecting to attack um so riding on the embankment it was like two three k's to go i was just concentrated on um not missing something i was just all i was just waiting 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 for something to go and then be able to react to it and everyone kept pulling shorter turns it was starting to play a little bit and there was one time if you go back and look on like the full video, is that uh, Swifty pulls off the front, Jill Bear sort of follows him, and I just carry on, and it's just as you go at one of the little, these little embankments. Yeah. And I just have a little seated acceleration, and I get, you know, a little 20-meter gap or something, and then the reaction comes from behind. Yeah. So I just, with doing that, I just wanted to, you know, they knew what I was going to do. They knew I was there to sprint, but I didn't want them to just think, oh, I'm just going to sit on. So with doing that, you know, it's, it's very at the time no you can't really explain why you're doing it but the only reason i wanted to do that is just to keep the pace moving higher yeah. so if they recognize that i'm pushing on a bit about oh maybe he's feeling good better react to that they got my wheel and then everyone sort of you know started pulling through and off again and getting back into the rhythm of it um and then it was only like until a k to go that everyone stopped working and Caruso was on the front, I think it was, or Demarkey. I forgot who, which rider it was. It's Christian Corrin, wasn't it? Actually, Corrin. Sorry, back. sorry. So, you're, so just for people who are kind of dropping in now, it's, you're with Christian Corrin, Philippe Gilbert, Julien Alaphilippe, Swifty, and you. So that's the lead group, and the bunch aren't that far behind, really, are they? 
No, so it was in split groups behind. I think Sam Bennett was in the group behind us. That's right, yeah. Um, he was, yeah, I think there were like 30 seconds at the end catching us slowly. Uh, and then another group behind that of about 20 guys, I think, maybe a, another 40 seconds behind those guys. So it was all getting tense towards the finish, but I wasn't, I knew about it, but I wasn't concentrated on it at all. I just didn't care if, you know, I knew we were going to get to the line. So it was just in the back of my head. I wasn't bothered about it. Um, so coming into that last day, it was Corin on the front and um, I think it was Philippe second, Gilbert third, coming down the mile and then Swifty and myself. And I just knew what I had to do. I just, you know, lay off the back a little bit. I've got the element of surprise with everyone in my position. Um, and it was a little bit of a cross headwind coming right. into the finish. So I was well aware of it. So just as my sprint started, I really knew the only person that would be able to match me in the sprint was Ben. Right. Uh, so coming into that finish, I just knew I had to hit him. And when I started my sprint, I knew I had to be, you know, two or three Ks an hour faster as I went past yeah. him. Um, so it's just one point. I think it was like 270 metres to go or something, just under 300. He just looked forward uh, to concentrate on the wheel in front. And as soon as he moved his head, I had like a metre gap, metre and a half gap from his back wheel. I just yeah started my sprint, hugged the guys. So I just kept them super close to the barrier. So there was almost if they saw me coming, they wouldn't move out immediately just because they didn't want to crash, which then forced them guys to stall the sprint. So I think by the time I got up, you know, next to Gilbert, I was already doing 10Ks an hour quicker than him. Um, yeah. And that was that really. And cross headwind finish. There was no slipstream because I was sat right on the barriers. So if they wanted to come round me, they had to come round me in the wind, and that was it. Just timed it right, did it well, and yeah, got my hands in the air. It was it's a superb win. I mean, I mean, and and also, you know, what a what a location as well. Because the way that you sprint up the mall, you can see like Buckingham Palace in the in the distance, can't you? It's the other, it's the opposite direction to the, the way the Olympics finished, wasn't it? But um, did you feel? I mean, you're obviously going really well. I mean, you come off you know really successful domestic season. Um, did you? I mean. What well, I do want to ask you about riding for an FTO as well. I know you had a, a cracking year, but at the start of the year, after dropping down from from world tour level, were you? How was your morale, mate? I mean, were you in a good place? Did you believe that there was a possibility because you'd been with let's three years with Lotto Amiga Farmer, two years of BMC, and now you're back at Conti level racing in the, in the UK? Yeah. I mean, did, did you? Clearly, you were hungry to win bike races, and clearly you were in very very good shape, and you know, arguably the best shape that you'd ever been in, but. Did you have at that point going into that race a belief that you would do well enough to get yourself a contract for the following year? Or what state of mind were you in, mate? Um, kind of. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. I think I was just enjoying racing then, you know, dropping mm. in and out of race. Well, I say that. I did the tour series and I think I only finished three of them. I, hate, I was getting hard. lapped all They're the time. They're hard though, aren't they? They're really hard, aren't they? Yeah, it was awful. Um, so I just hated that whole tour series, the whole build up around it but I was still training quite hard within it so that was always my back reason within my head you know I, this wasn't a big thing for me the tour series I was just in between them everyone would be doing an hour rides and I'd go out and do three four hours in between it um so that eventually paid off but during that tour series I was just hating hating every race I was like oh god here we go again gonna get dropped again which I did um but I think my mindset wasn't right for it uh but then leading up to the race you know the race the plan was to work for me and get me in a good position and just literally try and hang on and it was bad weather all day and positioning was key and I just happened to be in the right position at the right time and 
had the legs to to be able to do what I did. But yeah, it was. I'd never expected to. If someone said to me, "How do you think it's going to go tonight?" I said, oh, "I'll be happy with a top 10 uh, Might yeah. get up there in a bunch sprint if it's a bunch sprint and reduced group. But I never expected to be in that situation. Um, and I think it's the only time it's ever been a breakaway within that whole race. The whole time that race has ever been on, there's only been that one breakaway. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It's actually, funnily enough, it was me and Rob Hatch were commentating on site actually on, on that particular day. Um, and I, I did, and I was doing the interviews as well. I meant I, was, I spoke to Gilbert and Alaphilippe, but I didn't end up speaking to you because I think there's some other channels that spoke to you first. But um, no, it's um, no, it's it just just an amazing win and an important one because uh, you then went on to a couple more years at, at World Tour level, albeit with different teams. And, yeah. And, and talking about the teams that you're in, what I'd like you to do now um, is, in one word, sum up each team that you've been with. So we'll start off. So in one word, just describe the team to me as best you can with one word. I'm going to go through all of your teams, okay? Yeah. So starting off at Conti level, Team Konica Minolta Bizhub. Sum that team up in one word. Strange. Strange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Silence. Silence Lotto. Fun. Uh, okay, because they changed their name. So I'm gonna, okay, you got another chance. Two years with the Mega Pharma Lotto. Fun. Okay, so three <laughs> funds. Okay. BMC. Uh, boozy. Boozy. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Uh, NFTO. Um, joyful. Joyful. Okay, I like it. Orica Green Edge. I don't know if it's a word. Meh. Meh. <laughs> Just meh. So, uh, M- M-E-H, isn't it? Meh. Yeah, meh. M-E-H, okay. Yeah. Uh, Tinkoff. Fantastic. Hey, the stripes. Yeah. Um, Aqua Blue Sports times two. Shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Champagne to play. Oh, and then and then Lotto Sudal. I'm going to be serious here and try and give a forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah. Fair enough, mate. What a real nice mix. I like that part. Of the, I, it's not. I, I like that. So we'll. Um, yeah. I think. I, I remember. Oh, when I did the the pod with uh, Steve Cummings the other day, and he was obviously with BMC for a couple of years as well. He just called them American. That was quite good, American. And and Bradley Bradley Wiggins described them as the downhill American cycling team or something. The downhill team. Um, but there you go. Good years. No, you was, still there? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I lost you there. The internet connection went out. Sorry. It's <laughs> all right. I thought he thought. Oh, this is really dull. I'm just going to leave now. <laughs> no, don't be silly, mate. Don't so what we've got, uh, Niall has woven all of those together. Strange, fun, fun, boozy, joyful, mere fantastic, shit, shit, forgiving. Brilliant. <laughs> <It's> always, <laughs> what a wonderful sentence that is. Brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is, that is pretty cool, mate. Oh, um, it looks like we've got a final random uh, question generator coming in. Um, random question alert. They come at any time, Adam. I'm so random sorry. Question on <laughs> sorry, mate. It is time for a random question. Um, so, yeah, let me just pop over to the machine and tear off the slip. Um, sorry, it's a couple of feet away. I'm just going to have to... That's me walking. I'm just coming Brilliant. back. Here we go. Got it now. Um, right. Choose one. A world without bicycles or a world without air travel? 
A world without air travel, I think. Good answer, mate. I think I'd answer. Well, I would answer the same. I mean, yeah, couldn't live on your bike, could you? No, but you could still get to other places. But you just got to take your bike on a boat, couldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, it'd just take ages to get anywhere. But we'd be we'd still have our bikes. I couldn't. Oh, I wouldn't imagine because we'd, we'd be commentating on just a load of people like running in bunches, wouldn't we? Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it'd be awful. It'd just be like a running race, but with helmets on. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like a, imagine like a bunch sprint running. Oh. Uh, oh, 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 imagine crosswinds, like runners in crosswinds, <laughs> <laughs> like echelons. <laughs> or, Adam, would it, or would we just commentate on running races? I think that's what we'd have to do, yeah. I think downhill running, downhill mountain biking without bikes would be interesting to commentate on. Yeah. That would or be cycle just, speedway around the gravelly tracks. Yeah. It, it, the more you think about what the alternative will be without bicycles, the more relatively dull it is isn't it really and if we were if suddenly next year remember you know like an uh, avengers endgame yeah when uh, he clicks his fingers doesn't he what's his face and everybody disappears if that happened the snap happened and there were no bikes but still dan at eurosport uh, gcn said to us guys you've got to commentate on the races but sadly there's going to be no bicycles and we, we were like <laughs> flipping it all right we'll just do it but imagine they kept the same distances we'll be there for weeks won't we God, oh, yeah you'd be there for months Months oh. and months. The breakaways would be really. The Tour de France would be like eight years long. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate! Oh god! I'm gonna mate. We're gonna have to wrap things up. We've been we've been waffling on for a long, long time. But w- one thing I did want to talk to you about briefly, because uh, it, I know I didn't get to see too much of it apart from what was on your social, um, was your um, you you kind of Tour de France on the moto because that was something really different. I know we spoke about it before. You went. You're a little bit heading into it with a little bit of trepidation but just i mean um what was the what is that experience like because it looked like you had an absolute blast because it's and not many people get the opportunity to do that i mean you're in amongst it weren't you yeah it was a lot of fun very scary at times um the main one was like the first three days through nice there it was like real chucked in the deep end raining on the first day just constant left right oil on the road it was just scary um and i think doing it being in the peloton the year before i was well aware of the riders a lot um in terms of how they were how they cornered blah 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 um so a lot of the times you know i was tapping my motorbike guy on the shoulder there's a rider coming there's a rider coming there's a rider coming i'm sure he's aware of it but it made it stressful (laughs) yeah it's like a whole time that i felt like i just had to keep reminding and i'm sure i didn't um but it was just it was a great amount of fun i think the days you know when they're rolling along and you can have a chat to a couple of the riders were brilliant and then the days where you could just see it you know really in the gutter and lining things out and you're just in amongst it and it is brilliant to do and even the times when you know riders are coming back on in the cars and they're using your motorbike to draft behind and these things like that that is you know no one's ever going to get as close to a rider in a race as that ever yeah uh, unless yeah. you're riding it, of course. So I know it was a fantastic experience and doing the whole job there, reporting on it. The more I did it, the easier it became. And it just became so much fun. It was just just like commentating, but in real, you know, two, three minute blocks where I'd, I'd try and explain the situation from my position to, to been, the Americans. I mean, it must have been quite exhausting as well, because I know, because we kind of, although I wasn't there, we communicated with you a bit, just like sending messages occasionally, but. It's long days because you were up 
oh, going yeah. to the start, doing your interviews that you had to do. So it was by no means an easy job. And then that added stress of being on a motorbike. But I'd imagine that that stress kind of gradually lessened as you became to as you kind of trusted your your yeah, your, your driver yeah, more. And then and at the back end doing interviews again, then going to the hotel. They are, I mean, make no bones about it. You know, whatever you. Anybody on a grand tour, it's generally hard work, but for, but for you, that was it's a particularly intense workload, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And doing the interviews, I had to interview the riders before the start and ask them about the day and what's going on. And that was the most, it was a difficult bit for me to do that. You know, seeing your, a lot of your mates there that you had to try and interview and talk to them like you weren't your mates was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just trying to pull the answers out in which sometimes were a bit uncomfortably, didn't want to ask that question, but they understood. Um, but yeah, they were long days doing that beforehand, coming into the, doing the whole race, doing the stage and you've got your transfer after the stage. It, it was a long, you know, 10, 10 hour days, 11 hour days sometimes. And I, I believe, are you allowed to say whether you're doing it this year or not again? At the moment I am. Yes. Yeah. So that at the brilliant moment, so that, that's, that is exciting. And that's really exciting. Mate. And, uh, and uh, from the little bit that I saw, obviously, cause it was NBC, uh, I know that it went down really well and, um, yeah, clearly the, the Americans like an English voice, and but again, I think the thing that I got got from it in terms of people's reaction was again that enthusiasm, you know, that genuine because you, you can you can be an ex pro sat on a motorbike, but if you're not enthusiastic about what you're doing and you you can't get that across and give people a sense of a sense of what it's like, that's what it's key. I mean, everything's set up, but ultimately, if if the person delivering that kind of message is is not particularly interesting or doesn't seem to, to to be having fun then it kind of falls flat and um i suppose not that you would have learned a lot from brad but looking at what brad did the, the kind of year before that you know for, for eurosport i mean um because that that went down successfully so i guess but, but again bradley in his own inimitable way was just having fun wouldn't he again and, yeah, and, it, and yeah. it clearly came across in and obviously with that experience of knowing what it's like to to ride in the bunch etc in, in the grand tour and then Massively, his yeah. d- detached sense of fun as well um makes it a, an exciting proposition. So I bet you're super, super excited to be going out there again. I am, yeah. It's, it's so exciting. I think, you know, with any sport, I think if you're on the sidelines uh, watching it and trying to get the inside knowledge, there's no better person to have than a, an ex-player or rider or runner or whatever it might be. Um, so it's really good from that perspective for the viewers, I think, and just being able to explain what they might be feeling. And as they're doing the commentary a bit, just looking at the things that you wouldn't necessarily notice and trying to explain that. From a rider's point of view, I think you get a clear idea of the situation and the feelings and ultimately what you can't feel almost is what I try to explain. And I think being in that position the year before definitely helped do that. So, no, it went down well. It was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. And, and just to come before we wrap things up, I think essentially your the roles that you have now, you know, talked about the people that you're kind of doing work for aside from GCN and, and, and Eurosport is is essentially getting across to, to people who love the sport and hopefully people that are, are new to the sport, getting across the essence of what it is. And it is so many things and there's always something to take away from a bike race or a certain situation. There's so many, I always say, maybe it becomes it's become a bit of a cliche, but you have 180 riders in the field, straight away is 180 stories, you know, 180 oh, yeah. stories, course, yeah. all changing and 180 people with different frames of mind, different experiences leading into that day different you know different stresses different objectives you know um 
different dynamics within the team. You know, there are so many different things and that's what your job is. And my job is when, when you commentate or when you do what you do on your motorbike is to try and pull as much of that out because the more that you can give people in terms of trying to make sense of it all, because if you're new to cycling, you look at it and think, what the hell? What yeah, What is exactly, going on yeah, here? It's just yeah. this colourful kind of mess almost moving along. Yeah. And um, and I, I think there's there's so much that you can, whatever the race, whatever the, whatever the situation, there's always something new to say, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's just, for me, it's just as well as just educating people about yeah. it. You know, it's, I think that's the main thing is if we can explain briefly and quite clearly what is going on with certain things. And then really delve into it a little bit more when it gets a little bit hectic, like the classics. Then ultimately, if we can get more people to understand it of why things are going on, the better. I think the more you'll want to watch it, you'll have a deeper understanding of it. Um, so that's key, yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I tell you what, Adam, it's been an absolute blast, mate, um, talking to you. We've we have really waffled on quite quite a lot. We're gonna we're gonna wrap things up now, um, but it's been it's been great. Thank you for taking the time to to chat to us, bud. We'll obviously talk talk again soon, but. What I generally do in pod, once we've finished the pod, I then ask the person that I've done the pod with to take a, a photograph of themselves and also do a little video on their phone yeah. um, to say, I've just been on the pod with Matt. Um, it's, it's up now. And then we post that on our social media. But what I'm going to ask you to do for the first time, so the, this is a hat trick of things. So basically, you're the first get, first guest to be on the cafe ride on the podcast. And you're going to be the first guest, if you agree, Adam, to get your phone out yeah. and film yourself on the podcast, promoting the podcast for social media. So could right. you do that now? Yeah, hold on. I've not done my hair, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, yeah, there's no way that I'm doing one because I am basically in, in my pyjama. Well, I've got a T-shirt on, and a regular T-shirt, but then I've got my pyjama bottoms and I've not done my hair. I've brushed my teeth, though. Right. So what do you want me to say? So if you could say, um, hi, I'm Adam Blythe. <laughs> Yeah, uh, subbing along the lines of "Hi, I'm Adam Blythe." Um, it's been a great laugh chatting to Matt Stevens on his Unplugged podcast for Sigma Sports. You can watch it now along okay. those kind of lines. So, what I'll, I'll count you in. All right. So, have you got your yeah. phone in landscape? Yep. Have you got oh, no, like the portrait? If you can right. do landscape for us, mate, sideways. Landscape's on the side. Oh yeah, got it. Right. That's it, mate. Um, and then if you can get your laptop in, as any microphone, and just and and far away. So I'll count you in, and and we'll, and we'll take your first take. So even if it's a bit rubbish, let's do it. Three, okay. two, one, press play. Hello, I'm Adam Blythe. I'm on the Sigma Sports Unplugged podcast now with Matt Stevens, and it is available now. Check it out. Yay! Nice one, mate. Beautiful. That was very slick. Oh, you've got, <laughs> got a round of applause. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant stuff, mate. Oh, it's been such a it's been such such a good laugh, mate. But um I'll I'll be speaking to you soon. This will be up soon. I'll keep you posted. But for now, Adam, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Catch up soon. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me. Look after yourself. That was bags of fun. I do love chatting with Adam. It's just that time flies by very, very quickly indeed. Now you can see more of Adam and myself on our Cafe Ride video. Just head to the Sigma Sports YouTube channel and click subscribe because we'll be having some more of those in the future. Actually, this whole podcast has made me rather hungry for bubble and squeak. So what's your national dish and what would it be like in a sort of bubble and squeak burger? And want to get in touch with the easy to remember hashtag Sigma Sports presents Matt Stevens Unplugged Bubble and Squeak National Dish Challenge. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth as ever for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod 
and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies? Or tap your motorbike driver on the shoulder and play them this entire podcast through your phone whilst following a professional bike race around France, if you have one. And finally, a massive thanks again to Adam for joining me today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks all. Goodbye. Stay safe. See you soon.